All right, folks, welcome back to another uh, episode of Empire. We got the roundup today. Uh, for anyone watching on YouTube, I'm sorry that I don't have the nice background as usual. I have been uh, relegated to the side room, the side podcasting room, because uh, Mr. Jack Farley from uh, Forward Guidance is recording in the main room. And the rule of Blockworks is whoever has the uh, the most downloads gets the main room. And unfortunately, Santi, we got, we got some work to do, my friend. That's okay. You know, we like being the underdogs anyways. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So how you doing, man? Doing great. Really energized after that discussion with um Punk six two five nine. Um six five two, sorry. Fantastic episode. Uh we just let him talk because I mean he has just so much insight. But one of the things is if I were to like summarize, because it's our longest episode, but if I were to summarize or attempt to summarize the key highlight is he kept saying over and over is as a crypto industry, we have got to get better at the narrative of explaining the reason of explaining that like why all of this matters to people. And this goes far beyond Bitcoin Ethereum. This this goes to the heart of like owning property. And now it's digital property. And and that I think everyone can relate to. And I think it will become more and more obvious over time that, you know, government or anyone should really not interfere with your ability to to own and self custody property in the same way that you buy a car, you buy a house. Like property rights are fundamental for any developed economy. And if you don't have property rights, like, go look at Hernando de Soto's economist. He talks about like why certain countries develop the way they have is because they have sound property rights. And that ex- allows for the formation of credit and a number of things. And I think that's really the heart of the matter here is forget about crypto, put that aside for a minute. Just think about you know your ability to own digital stuff and custody. And I think that's really important. And that's a narrative that we should continue to drive home and um, I think it'd be right for, for a bunch of people that are doing great policy work to just really hammer that home. So that was really my, my takeaway. I mean, there's a number of things, but yeah, yeah. No, I mean, one, one thing that stood out to me is like just his basically definition and vision for the metaverse, because I, when, even when I say the word metaverse, it almost feels very cringy. Right. But I think his, his vision of this is right. We have this, we have this internet today. It's actually very text-based still. Um, but if you look at the internet in you know, five, seven, 10 years, the internet is based the the metaverse is basically just the internet with better visualizations and these persistent visual objects. And coming on the back of the Apple, uh, what would they call it? the Apple uh, Pro or the Apple Spatial Computing Product, mm. <clears throat> yeah. the, you can really clearly see a future where the metaverse is this kind of mix of AR and VR and real size and real life. And as the internet becomes more visual, then you can very clearly see a link between. Uh, the these persistent visual objects and the value that those persistent digital objects have in that space. So to me, like I think this world it was kind of funny laughing after that episode, talking about things like azukis or even or punks or board or apes or any of these NFTs. They're just these kind of still objects in this mm-hmm. in this really text based internet that we have today. But in the future, you can really imagine uh, an internet that is much more visual. Uh, yeah, you can imagine. I mean, like a lot more value from an investing standpoint you have to fundamentally understand like what fundamental like core human desire are you triggering in the particular investment that you're making and anyone that is dismissive of nfts misses the point because humans what do humans love to do throughout the history of time humans love to differentiate that's it and that extends to luxury brands and anything that allows you to differentiate to express your individuality, whether it's art or collecting or 
you know, buying luxury goods or Veblen, whatever it is. But humans love to do that. And if you don't think that NFTs will be big, then somehow you're predicating that thesis on the fact that humans will not want to differentiate in a digital context. Combined with the fact that every trend that you look at suggests that humans are spending more and more time in the digital world. And as you layer on AR or mixed reality, it even becomes more important. And your ability to, as he said, you know, very few people can go to even the best museum to look at art. Now, they may now be able to do that in a kind of a, you know, in the metaverse, if you will, you put on these goggles and you're in the MoMA or the Met or Louvre or whatever. But creating your digital persona is uniquely enabled by like digital property, the scarcity of that. And that that's really all NFTs really are, right? You open your closet today, you have a bunch of stuff. You know, you're wearing a horrible yellow shirt, Jason. I don't know what this is. It's, it's... I was waiting for you to call it. Hold on. Robert, <laughs> sure. Please it's, got be, it's about to be July 4th weekend in New York on Fronty. What are we doing wearing a little black golf shirt? I always, I always wear blue. It's a blue. blue. Black. It's blue. Anyways, I'm not here. Moving along. Uh, I just generally think that like when you open your digital closet, like what do you have? And NFTs are that. They don't have to be, you know, 100,000, you know, PFPs. No. In fact, I'm more bullish on the category of having like earned NFTs. The NFTs that represent, you know, culture, meaning you go to a concert, you know, you go to Fred again concert, which I know you love and you get an NFT like that. That's important to you, right? Because yeah. you want to, it's a, it's a representation of time and space and a test of, the, of what you've been doing. And so I think that's really cool. And so that's really why it's important to listen to that episode because those are the highlights. And I think he's a fantastic, probably the best spokesperson to crystallize and talk about this in a way that I think is more relatable to people, normal people. And so I'd really encourage uh, folks to go and listen to that. Yeah, agreed. Um, let's get into something that we briefly talked about on the episode, which was uh, which was actually just punks. So I'm seeing more and more in, in kind of these in, just in group chats that I'm in. I, so you're you know you're a punk holder, he's a punk holder. Um, mm-hmm. In a lot of group chats, people are asking the question like, "Look, in the bull market, you know, no, fall of 2021, I really wanted a punk. Punks at what like 110 ETH, I think it was some some very high number. Um, now they're sitting at like 45 or 50 ETH floor." got to imagine this is like near the bottom of the market is now the right i really want to punk is now the right time to buy punk so i'd be curious to hear how you think about like for those for people who don't have a punk let's start there for people who don't have a punk who are thinking about buying a punk and maybe and and do have obviously maybe like the net worth and, and the liquidity to do it how do you think about like whether or not now is the right time to to get their first punk it's a very difficult question to answer because like certainly we can talk about why punks are relevant because they're arguably the first real project, at least in the Ethereum blockchain. And that has a lot of meaning. They're also really simple. Like, you know, the, the, I personally, aesthetically, I find them quite pleasing. You're sort of pixelated, really kind of speaking to an era of the internet, which is like raw, but like cool, I guess. And historically they, They've just been one of those collector items that people that have been in the space gravitate to. But the question of should you get a punk is very specific to a lot of things and 
the question is hard to answer because are you collecting? Are you investing? My kind of framework for NFTs and collecting these things is purely collecting. Like I don't pretend to sell. And I don't think of them as investment. Of course, I did a survey on Twitter, which was, why do you collect? And the options were because you just like it, because you think other like it, or because you think it's going to make a great investment or other category. And a lot of people said, well, like the fact that other people like it makes it a good investment, which I sort of don't agree with necessarily because things change fairly quickly. Um, but I personally just collect stuff that I really like. My thesis for hoodie punks was quite simply, at the time, I thought that it was a very unappreciated attribute of a punk because hoodies really represent kind of hacker culture. And that's why I started collecting hoodies because I, I just sort of thought this kind of has a beard, it has nerd glasses, like kind of like it resembles me. And so I want that to be my public PFP. But hoodies as a category I thought was something that I really liked. And so I think it's, should, look, arguably some person looking from the outside and say, these guys are crazy. I mean, they're like talking about these pixelated art pieces that are being, you know, being offered for what's the floor on this 45 ETH? That's $85,000. Like guys, like get your head out of the gutter. Like, like there's, a, there's a part of that. I'm always aware of that. You know, these things are not cheap and like we, it's hard to, what I'm trying to get at, it's hard to understand like the value of these things. And I think in that episode with, um, we talked about the ringer, right? Which he bought for six and a quarter million bucks. It's either going to be a great buy or maybe not. Art is very subjective. So it's really hard to think about these things from a value perspective. And, but you know, my, I've, I've helped a number of people buy punks over the years and, you know, I think if you're serious about collecting, I've always felt that this is like probably like a, an icon, like this is, you know, a grail in your collection. Maybe this is somehow like in the traditional art world. If you're a serious art collector, you have like a, a Warhol or a Picasso or a Van Gogh. I'm afraid to say this because someone's just going to tear apart what I just said. You know what I mean? It, and we talked about like who was bidding for the ringer, right? The, the, sorry, the goose, I mean. Yeah. Uh, and he seemed to think that there were like traditional art collectors bidding for this. And the, the second highest bidder that pushed it up was like apparently someone who comes from traditional art world. And so, yeah, I don't know. Like you have to be really patient for these things. I feel really comfortable buying stuff that, collecting stuff that I know I'm never going to sell. I collect a number. Uh, I collect so much shit. <laughs> But punks have been probably, when I think of the NFTs that I have, I've gotten a number of, like, I've just gotten things um, from projects or from folks. But when I think about buying, I've only really seriously, like, when meaningful dollars at stake, it's just punks for me. And I'm, but I'm biased. Yeah. How many, um, I want to, I'm not going to answer that question. Um, <laughs> Would you look to, let me, let me. I, I, let's put it this way. I have earmarked and bookmarked 10 punks that I would want to buy. More okay. Punks. All right. So that, 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 that's really what I, uh, yeah. I, 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 it, it is, it, it is an interesting time. Yeah. Anytime there are liquidity crunches, 
some people just got in hot water, right? Because they bought with leverage or they bought speculating, thinking that they were going to flip. And you and you see it, what's nice about the crypto and the Larva Labs um, interface and they're kind of you go on, you know, Larva Labs and CryptoPunks and you click on a particular CryptoPunk and you can see the entire history, right? Of who's bought it, transfers, but also it's very interesting when you look at certain punks where they're bought and then they're very quickly relisted. Now, a lot of punks are not relisted. None of my punks are, for instance. People can place bids on them, but that's fine. A lot of other punks, you see this you see this trend where maybe they bought at the beak a year ago and then they quickly relisted. And then they've lowered that, like offered for maybe 400 ETH. And then they go down to 350 and then they go to 320 and 300. And you also look at like at the time where ETH was trading at. So you look at the dollar basis. So in my, in my mind, when I'm thinking of going shopping, I look at these type of punks and I find it quite interesting. Sometimes I want to understand kind of this behavior of, hey, maybe this guy, maybe this person bought it for... 300,000 bucks. And at the time it was corresponded to X amount of ETH. If I offer the same amount of ETH or if I offer the same amount of dollar amount, he's at least going to break even, you know? And so these are some of the things that I think about um, strategically. Yeah. And the other thing that I've tweeted about, but I didn't get a really good answer was like, there's this punks OTC that they've like been involved in a number of trades. I don't really fully understand like what they do or how they do it or what the value of it is. We're so just, you, don't, you don't use punks OTC. You just buy it straight. Yeah. Like for instance, I pick, I just wanted to, I, I pinged them about a particular punk that I liked. He was like, oh, we know the, we know the owner and he's, is this, is this a punk that is currently listed or uh -huh. it's currently listed. So if it's currently listed, why wouldn't you just buy it on the market? Yeah, yeah, no, I could. I was just curious because he's, it's one of these punks where it's had like a history of like offered and yeah. certain bids close to what he's been like, what it's offered at. But, you know, you could snipe it. Yeah. Then and there. So I, I personally would not do it go again because I was docs and like, apparently, like, a few other people ping me. Like, I was in certain chats. Oh, this guy wants to buy your punk. And like, I don't know. Uh, when I'm buying stuff, uh, I probably use a fresh wallet stuff. Yep. Um, and how do you think about, so I think it was, so when I was first, I think it was, uh, buying crypto dick butts, Meltem told me you either buy a grail or a floor, you never go in between And, and I think, and I think her like applied to any question. Right. Um, and I'm curious if you would agree. Yeah, it's an interesting, I've had actually this discussion a lot in the early days of blur with Pac-Man of how. Because you're right. Like I think of because you question, have, you have hoodie punk. Like you're yeah. You're, I have grails. I, have right, grails. I think punk. I have. I think I have grails. I may have a couple of floors, but it's the stuff that I have. I consider to be fairly unique. It's not an alien punk. Maybe. Maybe not. But it's uh, or like a zombie. But I, you know, I guess what I'm trying to. It's sort of this like what is it the endowment effect or like the. With this idea that once you buy something, you're so attached to it, you think it's a grail. Yeah. Um, but look, like, I guess it. I'm trying to get out, like, trying to understand what Melton was thinking when she said that, because if you're buying floors, if you're sweeping a floor, doesn't that mean that it's more of like a trader mindset? Because in Blur, a lot of the activity is tied to floors, right? People are sweeping floors and they're making a bet that, like, the floor 
for a particular collection is going to go up like Miladies and stuff like that. Like I feel like it's a more speculative buy wanting to flip at some point. And it's more of the investor type that says, Hey, on a relative basis, punks have really come down a lot at their peak. They were like three times more. It's kind of like a levered ETH bet, you know, it's hold its value fairly well. You know, there's a lot of buyers out there that will hold the floor. And unlike, you know, unlike, um, board apes this is more of a you know connoisseur like collection if you will yeah it's not about punks right it's about like i I think this is about all nft purchases in general yeah yeah i think the floor the floor sweeper is an investor speculator the grail one i'm not so sure i think it's more specific um yeah because you could buy a punk Right now, for I think the cheapest one is this one with the green hat thing for eighty five k. Yeah, forty five ETH. Yeah, yeah. But maybe you see, uh, but maybe you see something else where it's like, oh, this blue bandana with uh, you know sunglasses for fifty five ETH. Mm-hmm. So it's like, how do you think about spending that extra ten ETH to get something that you really love? Right. I guess that's the uh, you, all, all for it. All you know, at the end of the day, you don't want your wallet litter with shit you don't like. Yeah. Buy stuff that you like. It's gonna be easier. You know, it's like sometimes you, I, I just found it. That's my approach to collecting. I never want to buy stuff because someone tells me it's worth a lot. Now, again, it's, it's a, it's a difficult decision because if that incremental 10 K is going to make you uncomfortable, then, then reconsider. Right. But if you can do it, go for it. In, in, in nine out of 10 times where I've like helped people like find the right punk for them and like, I'm not like punk advisor or not but you i don't know like people that are close which one should i buy and i'm like what's which one speaks to you and they send me five or six i'm like oh you know like i feel like you know this or that and the ones that i bought have been like thoughtful buys which is like this punk represent x or i want this punk to be here if i were to display it or this punk yeah in, in many ways like people buy watches and jewelry to commemorate certain moments you know maybe that's like a yeah a good way to approach it so yeah, I don't know. It's a it's very subjective, man. Because a- anyone out there could be listening to this. These guys like are way out of there's like these crypto people have no sense of what art is, and you know, they, for them, it like I'm who am I to you know? The art world's so subjective. Subjective, like there's so many artists. Like like I've walked, it, I've always walked into certain museums, like in Paris. I remember Pompidou Museum. And like in the top floor next to the cafe, there's a canvas. It's just blue, like like the back of my my here. I'm looking at that. I'm like, this just probably. You're wondering like, why is it here? And it's probably worth like forty million or something, you know. And like, I don't know. Apparently, the guy invented that color of blue. So you know, but I didn't know that, you know. And so. Unless people told me that, I wouldn't have appreciated. I'm like, this is this is ludicrous. Like, what? Like, there's so many other things that like street art is better. Yeah, but I think isn't that part of the like? Let's say you're buying art for like the flex, basically. There, it's really all about who you're trying to. Who, you're almost your target audience on the flex, or it's like the. So in, in in that case, for example, there's a. You might not know that this guy invite and in, in created this color of blue, but yeah. for if you if you own your punk your basically target audience, which are like your friends who are in crypto or whatever, mm-hmm. recognize that that is a cool punk. 
So whereas someone on the street might just be like, I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. I will say though, the punks that I've shared this with people that like are not into crypto, a lot of them are like, oh, that, that's that's kind of cool looking. Like I like it. Whereas board apes, like you don't get the similar response. Um, does it matter on the margin for sure? Cool. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is, you got to be mindful. Like my hoodie punk, I'm never gonna let go. Like yeah. I'm not gonna sell that. It's. But uh, one of the things that you know people are critical of in in all of this is is the flex component. Just like oh, you know, you're just buying this because you tell people you can literally splurge. 45 ETH, you know, a car on a, you know, right-click save image. Like, what is that? Like, you're just so vain and like, what type of person you are. And you know what? Teach his own. I've just learned, don't judge. Like, people are so quick to judge. Like, you have no idea. Yeah. And so, but you're, it, it is a, cons- it, I guess, whether it's a concern or not, it's more of a personal basis. But, you know, just be mindful. People are going to know exactly what you bought it for. And so, you know, all, as it relates to buying, a lot of times, you know, buy with a clean wallet, you know, so people don't know who it is or or it's, you know, tied to other stuff that you're doing. And, you know, sometimes it's just kind of good to collect and just keep your head down. Hey everyone, quick break from Empire to tell you about another BlockWorks channel that I know you're going to love. I've been in crypto full-time for five years and have always struggled with one thing, which is keeping up with the next big trend. As soon as I wrap my head around MEV, we're on to app chains. As soon as I wrap my head around app chains, we're on to liquid staking derivatives. I'm sure you've been there. Blockworks Research has solved that problem for me. Our team puts research, data, governance, proposal updates, models, and more into one really easy to use platform so I can always stay ahead of the curve. If I don't understand something, for example, I just pull up the platform, I can search for an L1, I can search for a protocol, pull up the platform at blockworksresearch.com, I search the term, there's always an amazing amount of insight in a really consumable way. Uh, Right now you can subscribe to the platform, it's 2,500 bucks a year or 900 bucks a quarter. Hopefully you can uh, make more than $208 a month by using the platform. If you can't, you're probably in the wrong business. But if you're not ready to subscribe to the platform today, you can subscribe to the research team's free newsletter. Uh, you can follow their Twitter handles today. Links in the show notes. Trust me, once you do that, you're going to want to subscribe to the platform. If you are ready to, uh, to subscribe right now, I got you guys with a little hookup. Empire listeners get a 10% discount for the first 50 people who use the code Empire10. Got your back. Check out the links in the, sh- in the description to find out more. Now, let's get back to the show. Let's talk about an NFC that did not go so well. Um, so this week, uh, Azuki's launched new new Azuki revolutionary, really differentiated collection. So for those who weren't following um, Azuki's, I would call one. Uh, I would call them one of the tier one NFT projects from the from the height of the like NFT boom. So it's like I'd put like Azuki's, Punks, Board Apes, Murdy Birds. Cool cats, like these were the like hottest projects, and um, a lot of them were actually able to uh, ra- raise some money. So like Yuga um, raised with board, uh, board Apes raised, Doodles had a big raise, Azuki actually tried to do a fundraise around the same time that Board Apes raised, but they weren't able to get the fundraise done, as my understanding of it. Um, they launched this new project. Um, everyone was really excited about it. Basically, if you haven't seen it, 
it's a brand new project that looks pretty much identical to the original Azuki's. You can, I was flipping between them on on uh, on Blur. You can barely tell the difference. Uh, it and it what it did is it tripled the number of Azuki's. Um, and right away the price of Azuki's fell forty percent. So I think uh, oh, that's, that's what you call a dilution event. That's what you call a dilution event. But they were so they got a lot of shit. But um, I was trying to play devil's advocate. I guess let me try to play devil's advocate to this, which is if you're a company and you need and you need money, really what they did is they diluted. I think they I don't know they sold probably like I'm making this number up like roughly sixty percent of the shares to get forty million bucks. And if you were a company that was really really struggling. And still, maybe hadn't found product market fit. They clearly haven't nailed their business model. Um, all they, I mean, they they minted out forty million. So the devil's advocate was like, you could either go down or you could raise this money and keep going. I understand that, but I think a lot of people are expecting this to be a little bit more differentiated. That's that's yeah. you know, that's the thing that I'm concerned about because look, it's more of a narrative and what you're telling people. Like, I think my understanding was a lot of people were expecting this to be a fairly kind of unique collection uh like like okay um like me bits for instance like not tied to punks but you know me bits or like uh you know the uh board apes had the mutant apes like they're fairly different like you could tell them apart and the kernel was like these things are very different right this was not different so i i just think like it just felt like a a cash grab like fine like if you want to raise money just do it right but on what promise and what basis yeah yeah um i mean it really brings into question the business model of nfts right there is none you can go art with royalties you can sell well it's just interesting to see what's happening right pudgies yeah. so are selling merch on amazon wow, that's true uh apes are trying to build this game doodles are like are trying to build this new age media company um I am in your boat that I think the best model for this is not having any sort of roadmap. I mean, look at the folks who had a roadmap. Moonbirds, that fell to shit. Cool Cats, that went to shit. Zookies, I mean, jury's out here, but it doesn't seem like it's going too well. So, Look, I'm not being dismissive of business models. Like, Pudge, what is it? The penguins have been selling their, their like, uh, you know, what do you call these? Like, pushy, like, uh, what do you call these things? Pudgies. Fluff. Yeah, but like you buy these things like uh, I don't know. It's all- real life. No, you buy them on Amazon, right? It's like a um blanking on the name, my God. Anyways. I'm not dismissive of like these things. Like if you want to buy like a real life representation of your punk, like or a print, like yeah, there's like adjacent revenue streams that you can tap into. I think then it was where I'm what? more what was that? They're called plushies. Plushies, yes. This is the word. So, anyways, plushies. Yeah, yeah. If you want to, I, I, I would buy a plushie of some of these things, like these cute little penguins. Yeah, it's fine. The question more is like, how far do you like thread the needle? Like, oh, this utility narrative and building a game or reinventing Disney. Like, it's going to take a lot of time. Yeah, and resources. Some of these projects have raised a lot of resources, and and so, anyways, I'm I'm not like dismissive of that. I'm just. I think uh, this is why, again, I go back to punks because they don't pretend to be anything other than art. Yep. Yep. All right. Let's get past NFTs. Let's talk about um, funding. Right. So you mentioned to me, uh, you said deal flows up a lot. Uh, yeah. Looking at some of the numbers. So uh, 
the deal flow, if you actually look at the numbers of companies raising, is down. So let me just run through these numbers. January, 66 fundraises. February, 95. March, 68. April, 60. May, 61. June, we have two days left in June, 46. So that number is the lowest of the year. However, the interesting thing is an the most amount of uh, seed and Series A companies uh, yes. fundraises in June. So 80 39 seed deals in, in June already. Uh, seed, seed in Series A, I think it was. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you're, you're seeing very little lar larger deals. Yeah. The other thing, this, this is a lagging indicator because you're going by the announcement. And sometimes, ooh, I've closed a deal and it takes three, or the team doesn't want to announce, or it takes three months to announce. And they're, or they're tying that announcement to some sort of other strategic um, right. announcement. I think everyone, made, I mean, we, we, yeah. we did like a, we would yeah, there, there's always some lag. I will say I'm now like looking at 12 different opportunities. There was a time where I was like looking at one or zero for what felt like April, May. It was like very soft. Okay. Even February. It was, it was just slow. Um, the new, a lot of it is new deal flow. Certainly, like the deal, the deals that I saw earlier this year felt more or were more in the camp of projects that I've, I was an investor in looking to raise more money, under the realization that they were under the liquidity crunch. Some of the deal flow now is a combination of that, because look, some companies are doing actually very well, and they're executing, and so they would just want to buy more. They don't know if you know. You go back to that episode with Avicii and. And Hasib and you know, Avichol and the both of them, I think, especially Avichol said, look, uh, we're on, it could take another one or at least one and a half, two years of this bear market and, and liquidity is going to be really dry. And so, you know, I think if you're a founder, a lot of them realize that. And so they want to extra insurance and buffer. Um, interestingly, though, three projects that I'm an investor in have returned capital this week, which is great to see, actually. Return capital, like they're they're done. Yeah, like 60, 50, 60, 70 cents on the dollar. They're like, look, we raised around last year. We either, one of our founders have lost conviction or as a team, we haven't really found product market fit and we just would rather return capital. We may come back later. And I think that's, uh, in most cases, nine out of 10, I think it's, it's probably more teams should be doing that, candidly. And I respect that a lot. And so anyways, that's been... That's been fairly interesting too. But yeah, a, lo a lot of the composition of the rounds, mixed bag, a lot of them have been um, still still a lot of infra, like a lot of infrastructure, ZK, slap ZK on something, you know, ZK, VM, ZK, yada, yada, yada. AI, of course, is, you know, crypto AI, like this tech for, for a while has been like, you know, circling and a lot of times the, they come attached with slightly higher valuation, but just categorically valuations for seed and series A are, are down a lot. And I'll tell people like, this is a great environment to be deploying capital if you have it because uh, a seed or series A deal is getting done at a fifth of the price. So fairly compelling, like 7 million bucks, 10, um, 15, 20. Uh, up to 30, which 30 is now rarefied. Like a lot of people now are very, very sensitive. And it's a lot of times the investors that were not very sensitive, uh, like not very valuation disciplined in the last cycle, like, or like now 
overcorrected. Um, but, but yeah. Yeah. What, um, what types of companies are these? Are these DeFi companies or these gaming? They're a combination. Yeah. Less gaming now. I would say out of the 12, like two or two are gaming, um, for like infra stuff, uh, like a, a lot of interest in like launching new L2s, for instance, True. like three new L2s. I just think there's are they, are, okay. Are they L2s or are they, do you see what ZK Sync launched this week? Is it like ZK Stack where you're basically giving someone the infrastructure to go launch their own L2s? Or is it a new L2? Uh, no, it's a new L2. I don't get that game. Is it like everyone launching L1? It's the L2 is the new yeah. L2? Yeah. I mean, the I could see why. Because you control the stack, you control some parameters. A lot of them are building on top or for you know the OP stack. Yeah. Um and some are I'd say the more interesting ones and differentiated ones are those that like no surprise, I'm continuing to explore the banking idea. A lot of people have told me, "Hey, shut it down! Like, don't waste your time." Like, I got messages from folks being like, <laughs> "Sachi should not do that." Yeah, yeah. A lot of people are like, "Listen, man, like, I like you, but I think on this one, uh, let me save you the headache." And I was like, yeah. well, "I've had a lot of headaches in crypto. Like, I could just be like, maybe doing something, going be a professor somewhere, or just I don't know. I don't know what I'm good at." Um, but I've met some really interesting folks. And in, I, the reason I've mentioned this is because I've had two conversations with like founders that and teams that have been building a lot of financial infrastructure to like Robert's new thing. You're plugging like off-chain world, not real world assets, but kind of like off-chain world with on-chain stuff. Um, one of them is a particular, like a, a new L2 that is like KYC permission, like, you know, to make it easy for financial institutions to kind of operate in a very safe environment. Um, but still settling with like, you know, in a kind of like a, a on Ethereum. So, yeah. um, and some companies, which is really interesting, have built a lot of product, have really good teams and just need another jump start. Like they've been kind of dormant and they haven't gone traction. And those companies, like, like this reminds me a lot of the prior cycle. Like you looked at Ave, for instance, like they weren't, they were not going anywhere, not because they weren't doing stuff because the market was just not paying attention and it needed like a kickstart. So they rebranded to Aave. They changed the token economics. Kyber did this too. Synthetics did this too. And in crypto, unfortunately, if you're not in the top, if the top 20, like in that first page of coin, of coin gecko, good luck. And this goes again, go back to the discussion with Avicho and Hasib. It's like the question to them was, would you rather invest in a new project or an existing project that's been around for a while, but dormant left for dead? I don't know. Like the market historically, I think the data would show the most. You would probably skew towards a new project because people like new shiny toys. But from a absolute return perspective, I would argue sometimes you can get a fantastic price for really good assets that are more de-risked, meaning they're not just a white paper, they're just not not a slide. You don't really know the team. You've actually seen them out in the wild. And those are fairly interesting. I'm looking at one which is like financial infrastructure, like net settlement to really minimize like counterparty risk. Like for instance, when when every, in moments of like crisis, like when 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 Luna went down, when um, Three Arrows had these issues and was going down, 
like you with March of 2020 during COVID, like your number one immediate thing is, can I trust my counterpart? Genesis or whatever. And when you're doing these trades, it's like, you don't even know if they're going to settle, like they're going to send it back. And so it's, it's an issue. And this company is like trying to solve that. Like they've been building for like four like years now. And they have great backing. There is a really high valuation last round. And so it's, you're, they're kind of stuck. They're, they haven't, they need a jump start. They're willing to like lower valuation and kind of have this go, but they need the right partner to get that attention in the market because they've also talked to customers when they didn't have mu that much of a product. So yeah. these are like some of the deals that I'm really excited about because it goes back to the idea of a bank, which is people might say like, okay, you've really gone crazy. You're telling me you want to start a bank when Silicon Valley Bank, Signature, Silvergate, all these banks are going down. But I actually think it's the best time because I forget who told me this, but it's like the second run at a at a good idea is probably the best investment that you'll make, not the first one. Really? And I think we're in that environment where a lot of people don't have money, have done stupid things. Capital's really dried out, which means you can get stuff way cheaper. You can invest in very decent valuations, but also get teams like it, it could be in the public markets. It could also be secondaries. It could be. Uh, recapitalizations of entire businesses where you can just pick stuff up for pennies on the dollar, really good assets of teams that haven't given up. And all they need is another jumpstart. And you come in, you give them a fresh capital injection and 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 you get it off the ground. Yeah. Because I don't want to talk about the ETF, but I think I think there's a lot of momentum there. And and I think a lot of what the approval of an ETF could mean from and the the effects that that could have, the second order effects around regulation and really clearing the path for other stuff and what you're seeing in Europe, like all of these things, again, I don't want to talk about it that specifically. I want to talk about the the catalyst because momentum changes really quickly, especially in crypto. And so I think um, you got to think about, okay, if that happens, then all of a sudden an investment that you may have thought would have taken years because TradFi moves slowly, you say, no, actually, this might be the right time to do this. And mm. and so, yeah. Mm. What do you think? I've seen a lot of deals for um, Bitcoin-only companies, and I really don't like that that strategy for like a Bitcoin-only wallet or a Bitcoin-related, Bitcoin you know, Bitcoin-only related uh, yeah. exchange. I'm, I'm, I think I'm, uh, I'd love to get you on those. Yeah. I have, you know, I have, maybe people don't reach out to me because. I think people probably don't reach out to you because you're, you're, <laughs> this is such an I mean, I'm, I, I, look, I have a lot of, like we had, I'll send, I'll send yeah. I, I don't do, I don't do any of them because it's a, it's a losing strategy because look what, look what happens when you try to scale. So let's say you're Bitcoin only and you have a really successful Bitcoin only, uh, custody product, for example, like take Casa. Do you remember, you know, Casa, like Casa Hodel, mm -hmm. um, they were Bitcoin only. Then they launched after like four or five years, they launched ETH. And because the Bitcoin maxis are so so like stuck in their ways when casa launched eth they I w the the pushback was tremendous from the from their core customers oh. so um and i think like this was the thing that you remember in 2017 when coinbase dealt with this coinbase just had i think bitcoin and eth and they were debating it was the debate between brian and balaji about whether or not they should list mm -hmm. long tail of assets um and it shouldn't be a debate. If you're building a marketplace business, you need as many assets as possible. Like look at NASDAQ, like NASDAQ freedom, freedom to transact, you know, that's so, it. Like you should. Yeah. 
I don't understand the, the, the yeah I know like I it's a go to market strategy right so like we had Eve, right and he and look I, I think yeah. it's interesting what they're building the Ornals have like really taken off and whatnot but no I'm Reeves is actually kind of interesting like Stacks is a is weird has weirdly become a levered bet on Bitcoin right now because they did their token raise but it was one of the only compliant token raises mm-hmm. Do you remember that um. I don't know. I've talked to some some funds who are ba- who are buying stacks because it's kind of a not investment advice, et cetera, et cetera, but buying it because it's a levered bet on Bitcoin right now. And it's actually really ex- it's really tough to get levered bets on Bitcoin right now, or just exposure in general to Bitcoin. Coinbase. If you if you are a, yeah Coinbase Coinbase is one way. I I really pay attention to what's happening in Coinbase because I think it's just a general like proxy of the overall market's understanding of crypto and appetite uh of course that was rally like 50 percent in the bottom because balbo's came out like this is seth Klarman saying oh we, yeah we have a hundred we're not thinking of you on the, on the company we're not bullish on the company but we think these things are mispriced which you know tells you the market pendulum as howard marx says swings to extremes right and sometimes things are left for dead and so yeah i think this is the environment where whenever there's a disorderly shakedown in markets, you tend to see mispricings all around. People just flock to safety and they're willing to to trade a, a lot for perceived safety. And those are the yeah. moments where you you know you, you hear Standrock Miller, you hear all these folks talking about like these are the fat pitches or whatever whatever you want to call them. But generally like you never really kind of knew, I think like Vance pushed back and said like I don't really feel like I've ever felt that I've done it like had a fat pitch but I'm like I feel like you start intuiting like when you look back and you say it feels uncomfortable feels like you shouldn't be doing it but you see other people being for sellers like for instance like Robin who's liquidating a bunch of like alts because you know that's what they're doing like you have certain like uh, bankruptcy uh, proceedings happening and fire sales and so to me I look at that and that's generally combined with negative headlines like the box literally ticked up the bottom ticked the bottom of their headline like this is the worst time for crypto crypto is dead and these headlines generally co- with four sellers generally coincide with market bottoms or, or at least really good moments to take a long-term view in the space yeah last last thing i want to discuss here pretty light news week i'd say but i, th- yeah. I think we should discuss one news item is uh is prime trust so let me just um Give, give the overview of Prime Trust for folks because I think it's helpful to lay out all the details. So the background here is um, Prime Trust is an infrastructure provider for a whole bunch of different crypto companies in the space. So let's say you ra- let's say you want to build a um, a consumer app, for example, and you let's say you want to build a consumer app for crypto. And you raise five million bucks instead of having to build all the infrastructure yourself, the KYC AML, the onboarding, all that kind of stuff. Oftentimes, what will happen is you build the front end and everything else sits on top of Prime Trust. So there are a lot of Series C, Series A, and some Series B, though by Series B, you start kind of hacking away at the stack. A lot of seed and Series A uh, crypto companies that have built their entire stack on top of Prime Trust. So June 7th, uh, three weeks ago, Prime Trust, it, it kind of leaked out that Prime Trust was in trouble and that they were doing a they were doing a, an emergency $25 million raise. So that was June 7th. June 8th, BitGo announced that they were acquiring Prime Trust. The, the deals of the term weren't disclosed. But it looked like BitGo was going to acquire 100% of the equity of Prime, Prime Core, uh, who is the parent company of Prime Trust. That was June 8th. June 13th, uh, Bank, B-A-N-Q, which is a Prime Trust subsidiary, 
filed for bankruptcy protection in Nevada. And according to the filing, bank had a, has a, had a little over $17 million with total liabilities of five and a half million. So folks thought that you had, you know, 17 million liabilities, um, uh, 17 million in assets with little over five and a half million of li liabilities. Fast forward a couple more days, June 20th, about a week ago, Prime Trust halted deposits and withdrawals, um, sent out an email saying that they're halting both fiat and crypto withdrawals uh, and deposits. Day later, uh, Prime Trust seeks receivership from Nevada after it receives a cease and desist from the uh, Nevada regulator. A day later, no surprise here, Bitco terminated the pl their plans to buy Bitco. Um, they said in a tweet that they, that uh, that after considerable effort and work to find a path forward with Prime Trust, they moved to make the hard decision to terminate the acquisition. Um, and then earlier this week, June 27th, we're recording this on June 29th, in a Tuesday court filing, the state agency asked the court to impound the assets and related properties of Prime Trust immediately. It also moved to enjoin Prime's employees from removing Prime property without the permission of the court mandated receiver. Prime Trust, per the Monday filing, was only $861,000 short of paying back its outstanding crypto-based obligations to clients. However, here's the kicker. FID alleged that Prime Trust lost access to legacy wallets in 2021, and in order to make up from the, for the customer uh, for the shortfall there, they used customer assets to buy back their crypto. So if you actually look at the numbers, mm. for for crypto, Prime Trust owes 69.5 million to clients, and they have 68.5 million. So they're like they're like a million dollars short. However, in fiat. They have $2.9 million, but they owe customers $85.5 million. So that's the kicker right there is they owe clients over 80 million bucks right now. They use customer funds to try to dig themselves out of a hole and they lost access to legacy wallets all the way back in 2021, which is a real bummer because I know I invested in like six different companies that built their businesses on top of Prime Trust. Yeah. Starting after 2021. So that means the CEO of Prime Trust, whoever it was back then, knew that they were onboarding folks when they were when they were insolvent. So that, that is a that is a scam. Let me ask you two questions. One, like who watches the custodian and attests to this stuff? And second, if you're a client and you're looking at your custody assets, wouldn't you be able to see this flow of funds and misappropriation of funds? Or I guess like the funds are, I guess the funds are stuck in a wallet, right? Someone tagged the wallet on Twitter. I saw it. The funds are there, but they just have lost access. So I guess what you're saying is people want all these have felt the funds are there, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and by the way, there's one more kicker, which is, uh, I think it was Arkham, Re Arkham Intelligence, uh, kind of a wallet tagging tool, similar to Nansen. 88% of the crypto that Prime Trust holds is this, is audio token. So they have 69 million in crypto, but is yeah. it Audius? Audius? Not Audius. Not, it's, I've never heard of this thing, audio. Um, 61 million of the 69 is, is audio token. So, but yeah, it's a bummer. I mean, I got a couple of investor updates. Like, you know, one of them said it bluntly. They're like, Prime Trust was insolvent ever since we started working with them. Brutal. So, yeah, I guess we, at this point, we wait to, uh, to hear how the FDIC, uh, how it plays out here. But I'm, I'm hoping that for some of these smaller companies, um, you know, some of them only had maybe 250K in a, 
in a set in a in like a settlement omnibus account, maybe another two fifty or three hundred in like an ACH reserve account. So hopefully, because those are it's pretty small dollar amounts, ho- hopefully the FDIC figure uh, you know gets that money back. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's a, there's, go ahead. I was going to say that there's obviously one implication here at TUSD. It's like the fifth largest uh, dollar pack stablecoin, three point one billion market cap, I believe, yeah. or so. Um, you know, I'd say like nothing major, but it's still big. It's obviously people got wind of this and it's, it's important because they said that they had no exposure to prime trust, but then they sent an email, uh, to their customers saying there's no more, more, no more minting and redeeming due to prime trust. So, I mean, like, you know, follow what's happening on chain and never trust what people are telling you. It's sort of the moral of the story, but you know, I like a lot of people are shorting it. There's uh you know, obviously look at the APY Nave, it's 50, over 50%. People are like borrowing to USD and then selling and like basically shorting it. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it has a whole host of like effects. Yeah, but I think USD. I think Nick Carter had a good tweet on this. It looks like TUSD it's just low. Trust is low. It's like twenty six k. So it's why why would they like uh halt minting and redeeming? But how, why would they then halt minting and redeeming? That's where it's a little not sure. That one, that one didn't make sense. Yeah, uh, maybe from uh, they had to somehow figure out the backend flow in some way. Like for example, how this works, but maybe the mint, the mint, and maybe in inside of the, how that infrastructure works. That yeah, prime trust possibly uh, that I guess. But yeah, be wary, folks, if you're transacting trafficking to USD, just beware. Make it sound like this illegal thing if you're like trafficking into USD. With, <laughs> I use the word uh, trafficking quite a bit, but yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're using, touching TUSD, exposure to TUSD. That's even weirder. Uh, last thing is, uh, you, you see uh, you see Leshner launched a new company. So yeah, uh, Airfly invested in it. So it's yeah, 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 yeah. I talked to Ben about that a little while ago. Um, uh, did, I, I think it was Parify. 1KX, Cumberland, Coin Fund, and I think there was one more distributed, maybe. Um, I think so, yeah. Yeah. So um, it's very cool to see on tying this all back together to your conversation about investing in batters who have been at it for a little while in crypto. It's very cool to see some of these DeFi OGs like Leshner take another swing at it. So Rob Rob is building Super State. Uh, their mission is to create regulated financial products that bridge traditional markets and crypto. Uh, as he put it, the primary limiting factor to DeFi is that crypto native assets are the only interoperable assets. Eventually, hundreds of trillions of dollars of offline assets will find their way into blockchains. We plan to facilitate that uh, migration. On Monday, we filed a preliminary perspective with the SEC for the super state short-term government bond fund. Um, it's pretty cool to see. Well, we'll have to have, uh, we'll have to have him, him on to talk about what he's building here. Yeah, absolutely. Rob's always been, when you, you remember like when compound like launch a treasury solution and then they were thinking about going to Polkadot and building their own kind of chain like yep. chain. Yep. I think this is always in the back of if you kind of read between the lines it was always kind of in his mind and now I think this is a way to express that thesis which is cool to see agreed what else man nothing I think this is a light week go out and listen to that episode um, uh, on on uh, with Pug six five two nine, I think that was great. Um, any interesting books or uh, movies that you've seen recently? 
Did you finish that poverty one? God damn it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I'm the, my new one. I'm committing to, uh, finally read the three body problem, which is, I think the most popular book in China. Um, this is, I'm, this is a three body problem. Shushin Liu. It's very good. What's it about? I don't know. I'm only ha- I'm halfway through the first book. There's three, there's three books. Okay. Really there's, uh, I think it's like the Harry Potter of China or something. Oh, I have two two friends who love it. One of the Mike, Mike loves it. I think it's one of Mike's favorite favorite books. Um, okay, nice. Yeah, it's kind of like physics meets uh-huh. sci-fi. I don't know. I'm, I mean, I can't talk too too much. I'm only yeah, like a third of the way. It's like a Neil Stevenson's kind of thing. Like that's what it seems like. But I'll tell you once I read the first book. Okay, yeah. I'm reading the Jellyfish. What's called Jellyfish Age Backwards. This is a great book on aging. Uh, I love aging, as you know, uh, in a prior life, I invested in aging startup, worked there, um, did research. Um, so this is a nice book to just talk about, like everything that's going on in the aging world. Isn't that actually a thing? Jellyfish do age backwards. Yeah. There's, a, there's, a, there's a type of jellyfish. There, there's like fascinating thing about certain animals that just behave in a very different way that makes you think that like, if you understand all the different processes that go on in their organism, then you could probably think about, okay, how does that, how do we age, right? Some species like literally shut down as soon as they have birth, they die immediately. Like like octopus. Yeah. yeah. Once they give birth, like they're done. Like their mission I is complete. Spiders have that too. Yeah. Certain flies, like um, certain whales never die. Alligators, like some sharks, like it's kind of crazy. Yeah, there's some sharks that are like four hundred years old right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, big time. So it's yeah. I, I love this stuff. So uh, I, I so far it's been good. Do you follow Brian Johnson? Do you know who Brian Johnson is? Yeah, the guy who's like trying to like do all these crazy things and the blueprint guy. Mm-hmm. I do. Um, yeah, Peter Atia and David Sinclair and a bunch of like. The one, I actually wanted to have a longevity panel at, at Permissionless this year, but it got got next. I thought that would be fun. Yeah. Well, uh, maybe the best we can do is you know, put our brain in a, have the train, the AI train itself to like understand like our consciousness or so, like how we operate and then just create a digital app. I mean, Brian Johnson looks about as close as you could imagine to what <laughs> I would look like if it was like, in- it looks like an avatar, like, like, but pale. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So. Honestly, no, like, yeah. Um, go get some sunlight. Go get some sunlight. Anyways, man, this is a great episode. Uh, good to see you. Um, thanks for tuning in folks. And, uh, yeah, we'll be here next week. 